0: The more that we invest and involve capitalism in the venture of healing, the more we lose ourselves.
1: Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Here we are, my friends, final episode, season eight, end of summer. It's time for something, something to end. It's time for something new. (laughs) Something to end. Something to begin. Don't you?
2: Aren't you always, I'm always excited at the end of a season, aren't you? Yeah, it's so exciting. Well, especially when we're heading into fall, because that's one of my favorite seasons. Give me all the pumpkin
1: spice lattes I can handle Mm -hmm. right now.
2: Yeah, and the leaves start to change and the air is that crisp, cool. Well, let's remind
1: everyone that you live in an area where you get seasons and I
2: live in the desert. You are correct. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) it's a good reminder. Good perspective. Because everything that you're saying,
1: I'm like, oh, I love, I love being in the Pacific Northwest when the leaves, yes, everything starts to fall. And I'm like, I, everything, we're in a drought. And yeah. everything is just dying, but yeah. I guess it's a great way to view something coming to an end. I can't even believe that we're on season eight. We're going into season nine. I don't even. I remember we we were doing two seasons a year. And I think essentially we we still kind of do. I think the transitions have happened during the summer because normally we take a little bit of time off in the summertime and and we go into the new season. But I think for the longest time, I was just trying to figure out what this podcast was and and where I wanted to go with it. And it's truly been something that I am so beyond grateful for. I mean, I wouldn't have written a book. I wouldn't have done any of the programs that I created. Like there are so many things that wouldn't have happened had the podcast not come to fruition. So I always have to remind myself
2: of all the goods that have come. Would you have done anything differently with the podcast? I mean, coming up on season nine... Everything. Everything different. Oh, I would have done so many things different. Yes. And it's funny
1: because I was just having this conversation with a gal on Instagram that we were like DMing back and forth. She's wanting to start a podcast and she was just asking uh, just some really easy questions. And I say easy because sometimes when I get really complex questions, my friend, it's hard for me to answer them. So if you keep them really easy, I am happy to respond in a quick manner rather than weeks and weeks later where, you know, when I, when I have a moment to sit down and go through DMs and stuff, I, I don't love to spend too much time on Instagram, but we were messaging back and forth and she was asking, yeah, if I had to do it again, what would I do differently? And I think that I would, everything's changed now. There's so many different tools and and products and topics and, so many different ways that you can do a podcast. Back when I started, there was only two basic structures. You were either attached to a subject or you were doing an interview-based type of podcast. And I think that I loved the format that I started to do. In the beginning, I would incorporate, I would upload some meditations occasionally. I, I didn't really know exactly where... I was going. And I think had I structured it in a different way, it would have made things come together a little, I don't want to say quicker, but maybe a little bit quicker. I think there was so many start and stops because I was trying to figure it out in real time, as opposed to creating something, have it planned out, really have an idea of where I wanted it to go. The only idea that I had when I started the podcast was there's people out there that are experts at what they do. I want to talk to them. I want to ask them questions and I want to learn from them. And I think that the people that I know that follow me or study with me would want to know these same things too. So I used it as more of an educational forum rather than a dialogue to explore topics or a way to understand people's process, which is what it's become now. You know, we have our Wisdom Wednesday episodes that we started to do. I used to have a segment called Tea Time with Rosie. I used to, I had a different podcast that I was doing, you know, and I think if I were to do it again, I would just structure things differently. And I say this because I know there's still so many people out there who have ideas for podcasts and want to start their own podcast or maybe started your podcast and stopped doing your podcast. This is a sign that you need to start doing it again. Because although there is so much content out there, what you have to say is not like everyone else. What you have to say is so different and unique to you. And sometimes what you have to say is the exact thing that somebody out there needs to hear. And if you really believe that, and maybe that's why you're listening to this podcast, or that's why you're doing this type of self-inquiry, curious work, then you need to be able to follow that, that thread. You need to be able to pursue that desire until you get to a place where you can figure it out. And the other thing too is don't get too in your head about organizing and creating a diagram of exactly what you need to do for your podcast. If that's you and that's how you want to do it, go for it as long as it doesn't stop you from producing content. For me, I'm the person that I need to just, done is better than good, right? Like I, I need to be consistent I need to have a schedule. I need to be able to execute. That matters more to me than I mean, I hate to say it. I'm like that, that means more to me than something actually being good. I mean, I want it to be good also, but at the same time, I like to finish what I start. So I hope that answers your question.
2: Oh yeah. I think about this a lot because I feel like I'm light years behind where you are in my own podcast outside the studio and I'm always thinking about how to iterate and make it better and make it more organized and make it more intentional. And I ask myself all the time, well, why did I start this? What is the purpose? What is the intention of this podcast? Which you're right, it's different for everyone. And yes, I mean, I could throw a stone and hit someone that has said, I want to do a podcast. And there is space for all of us to have our own podcast, even if Some of the genre overlaps and some of the topic overlaps because everyone's going to gravitate towards their own particular voice and their own particular interview style and somebody out there is going to need to hear what you have to say. So, I 100% agree with you, Rosie, that there is space for all of us to be creators. I mean, that's what we're here for, right? I I believe that we're here to be creators and whatever form that takes maybe it's artwork, maybe it's pottery, maybe it's music. We're all here to create something. Yeah, I am 100%. And look, I
1: started the podcast in 2016, 2016. And there was a couple of uh, stops between 2016. In 2017, 2018, there was a couple of pauses, but since mm-hmm. 2018 consistently, we've been on every week, sometimes twice a week. So it's definitely been a, a commitment and um, I'm grateful that we've been able to do it. and And fortunately... Because of the support of everybody here, we have great sponsors and partners that we work with that make it possible for us to provide this free content for everybody. And hopefully we can continue to do it for at least another two years. Hopefully, maybe. Year? Yeah. I don't know. Do you guys want to keep... Should we... You know, I, I have thought about that. Like at what point do you... I've always been a fan of end on a high note.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know,
1: Mm -hmm. I'm like, I love to end something when it's at the, you're at the top, you've accomplished all, you've done all the accolades, you're, you're achieving a good, consistent standard and you pivot and you do something new, you know, don't get too comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think about that a lot. Maybe some of you that have been listening since 2016 are getting a little bit of a little jolt because I'm saying maybe we end the podcast. Here's what I will say. It is the end of the season and we do have another at least two seasons in the bag. So fret not, but I don't know. There's things to think about. I'm
2: getting heart palpitations over here. <laughs> I don't know if I'm really listening, but for me, I'm like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> I think it's, you know, it's it's good to move yourself into discomfort sometimes. I mean, like I said, I this is a job, right? This is like a job. It's an incredible job, and I'm grateful to have created this job out of thin air. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing that we're able to do that. But at the same time, I think. It's important to be able to challenge yourself, you know, and and do things differently and and do different things. You know, it's yeah. like I can't be and I said this back in twenty seventeen when Tori and I decided to move to. Um, oh my God, not twenty seventeen. Who am I? What am I? What year do I live in? Back in twenty thirteen when we moved to Portland, I said twenty seventeen when I moved back from Portland. Um, just think about the pivotal decisions in my life in the last decade, it's definitely been moving out of the comfort zone. Like I I always said, I can't be an advocate for change if I'm completely attached to, you know, being in one place. So
2: no, that's smart. I like that. It's yes. And I agree with you. It's um, you're like, I don't like it, but I agree. I Yeah. It feels uncomfortable, but that's exactly what we're talking about is sitting in the discomfort and it makes me a little bit nervous, <laughs> but that comes along with the discomfort <laughs> because it's like stepping into the unknown, right? Okay. Well, if we're not doing this, then what comes next? Then what are we doing? And that is brand new, right? And that is change, which is, it can be scary, but it's yes. valuable.
1: Well, Tessa, tell us about our guest today, our final guest for the season.
2: Faria is a writer and multidisciplinary artist. She is the co-founder and director of Studio Ananda, the deputy editor of Violet Book, and on the board of directors at Find Center. Faria's work mainly centers on her identity as a queer Muslim Bangladeshi. Her interest is in the margins, otherness, liminality and mercurial nature of being she is the author of how to cure a ghost like a bird and who is wellness for very
1: exciting this conversation was very enlightening to say the least she is such a inspiring change maker she is definitely courageous and i can't wait to hear what you guys think of this conversation with faria Hello friends, I want to tell you about Kachava, my all-in-one daily super blend. If you're worried you aren't getting all the nutrients you need or struggling to stay on top of your health, then listen up because Kachava has you covered. Kachava puts everything in your body it needs in one glass, so you can have it all. All the superfoods, all the vitamins, all the omegas, all the adaptogens, all the greens, all the proteins, all the benefits for your gut, your skin, your hair, your brain, your muscles, your heart, your whole health no more compromise no more guilt no other nutrition shake does it all like this they travel to the ends of the earth to source them all and crush it up cachava is a powder you take two scoops just add water blend it up and it tastes incredible they have five delicious flavors chocolate and chai are my personal favorite i drink cachava for breakfast and it keeps me full for hours there's no way i could get all of these nutrients in my normal diet and trying to manage all of the supplements and the ingredients you should be taking, I mean, it's a little overwhelming and very expensive. But now, Kachava makes clean, organic, superfood nutrition accessible to everyone. You've got to try Kachava for yourself. Kachava's is offering 10% off for a limited time. Go to kachava.com forward slash loved spelled K-A-C-H-A-V-A and get 10% off of your first order. That's K-A-C-H-A-V-A.com forward slash loved to get 10% off for a limited time. Kachava.com forward slash loved. You know, it's interesting the minute that you came on, it just felt like we were sitting having tea together because... (laughs) you said that you weren't feeling great. And you know, what's interesting is that I've not felt great in a couple of months. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, it, it just, I start to feel well, not ill, but just energetically, it just feels so heavy right now. Doesn't it?
0: Yes, it really does. It really does. I don't really have anything
1: else to say. Other yeah, than yeah. yeah. To me, Anytime I feel that I have a a sort of barometer for the feeling of overwhelm, like I'm watching too much news or I'm on social media too much, if I'm doing something too much, I feel that for me is that trigger point that pushes me over the edge that says, okay, my nervous system can't handle this feeling right now, and I need to disconnect. You know, I think what's interesting. I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because you are a incredibly prolific writer, poet, innovative change maker, and you are in in the public eye. I always think it's interesting how, and we're I think a different age bracket, but I digress. But it's interesting how it feels like the pressure of always having an opinion and voicing it out and having it be received by the public is so much more like a chore now. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to be consistent with how you're showing up in the world And I'm speaking for myself as somebody who's out there, who has written a book, who has a podcast, who has a platform. There's this like responsibility that I feel that I have, but at the same time, because I am that rebel and I'm like rage against the machine, I have to take the power back a little bit sometimes and say, no, I am not posting this week or I'm not going on social media or... I don't actually feel like having to address this issue right this moment. And I feel like that for me, anytime I've ever felt a little down or depressed, that's how I start to regain my power and my energy. Most of the time I feel that when I get to the point of that deep a sadness it's because i'm depleted i'm tired i'm not getting enough sleep there's just so much going on in the world and i need to be able to take the power back and recharge and regroup and, and in order for me to do that i need to set those boundaries so i'm curious for you if what works for you when you feel like this i mean do you do you talk about it do you go inside do you write what what is your process
0: i rarely feel Depressed, which is maybe not accurate. Maybe I do feel depressed all the time, but I can transmute it or I'm in the process of transmuting it. I think writing was one of the first, if not the first, tool I ever learned for myself to get out of my own situation. So, you know, I grew up in a pretty lower middle class suburban life I was raised in Australia by a severely mentally ill mom and I grew up around a lot of violence and abuse and because of that I think my role in the family was always to sort of be the bright cheery uplifting one and I think as a result I'm quite good at that I'm naturally very sort of quirky and I kind of talk about this in my own private life with my friends, but I grow, I wake up most of the time happy and excited about the day. And I think when I feel like this, when I feel the slump in my shoulders, when I feel sort of the weight of the world, it has a lot to do with the sadness of the transmutation, the sadness of like all of a sudden, like maybe like seeing it, you know, every now and again, I'll like see it for what it is and I'll see the holistic reality that we all live in and I mean this life this this world this this country America it's even global politics it's been so difficult this last year these last couple of years it's just been wild to experience the ups and downs and really mainly the downs of like you know other than like mass revolution in 2020 I don't really feel like I felt or have felt sort of this like energized experience. And there's moments, you know, like during the pandemic, you like see your friends and you're at, you know, at a restaurant and it feels normal again. And you're like, oh, right. But the reality is, is that we're in a worldwide global pandemic and millions of people have died. There's a war. There's many wars. And, you know, and then in the home base, in in a country like the United States, we were talking about this just a little earlier, you know, and then you've got the difficulty of a government that tells you it's the most democratic and enlightened government in the world, in the history of the world. And yet abortion rights in the most liberated country in the world have been taken away from people. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. So I think I'm with you. I I'm a rebel, like I. I don't. I'm not here to impress anybody or to be like anybody else, you know. And I think that pressure that I think public people feel as much as I I do feel it sometimes. I think I have a tendency to to disengage with the, especially sort of the like outward pressure of like you have to be like this or you have to you know post this and why aren't you doing that? I just don't engage with that at all. Like if, if anyone comes at me with that energy, I'm like, no, nope. like I I'm not, I'm not even going to talk to you.
1: you yeah. Know? Yeah, no, I love that. And I think it's important to have that discernment and know that about yourself and know when to create that boundary and, and let people know where you stand so that people know know how to respect you, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm excited to talk to you about your latest book because as you know a little bit about my background this is something that I've always inquired I've always asked these questions and the name of your latest book is called who is wellness for and I'm curious what was your intention behind writing it and and why this book right now
0: well, I think similar to the concerns that you were sharing about your own community and growing up during a really difficult time societally, you know, the riots, the LA riots, it's like I didn't grow up like that, but I grew up in an environment that was really hostile with two parents that survived a genocide. And I didn't know that until a very long time, you know, into my I think adulthood, I really couldn't Yeah.
1: I don't want to cut you off, but I want to talk about the cultural similarities between, you know, families that grow up with having this massive trauma and not talking about it, right? Because ultimately, depending on the culture, I mean, these are just, you just don't talk about it, right? And so then you have all these issues, you have alcoholism, drug abuse, mental health, illness that's undiagnosed because you're dealing with something so traumatic as surviving a genocide. I mean, this, this is a big deal, you know? So this is so, I'm so interested to just hear how you grappled with this as an adult, like finding
0: out. I mean, it, it obviously made so much sense. And I think all of the holes in my childhood were all of a sudden, like, you know, they, they're, I think I got a deep clarification
1: Mm.
0: after I found out about my parents. But I think, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, we are all, if you're not white, in a lot of ways, you're sort of just barely surviving the stronghold of colonization and the ways in which colonization has impacted and ravaged the lands, the spiritual customs, the culture of where we all come from, even if it's different and separated by oceans and it's vast and it's far, all of us have this like very, very similar through line in how we've experienced our parents, we've experienced our relatives, the amount of sexual abuse that exists, you know, just like nobody talks about it. And there's just like incestuous jokes everywhere. And you're just like, wait, this isn't normal. This isn't actually how a family should be. It shouldn't be this violent or, you know, there's always like harm. I work with a lot of, I work, I teach and a lot of my students come from all around the world. and, And it's so interesting to see, like, if you're from Guam or you're from Pakistan, you might have like just generationally similar experiences because of the way that you were raised and the way that you were surveilled and the way that you were constantly as a woman, I think, just like looked at and watched or all of those realities are the same sexual harm that we've experienced from our families. So... To me, because nobody was talking about this, none of this is like nice or chill or easy to talk about. But it was...
1: Yeah, it's not a conversation you can have over the dinner table. Like, oh, hey, so tell me about
0: your abuse. Yeah. And yet this is actually something that we all need to talk about. Yeah. And in fact, like, not only do we all need to talk about it, it is so healing to just say it, to just say, yeah, this is what happened to me. Or like just to be able to share it. But I think that that shame holds us. It holds our parents and it holds us in a chill cold because, you because know, there's a guilt attached to what has happened to you naturally. And so if you can't identify, okay, you're not a victim, like things didn't happen to you because you deserved it. Things just happened because, you know, your parents and your family didn't have the the tools to process their own lives. I think when I began to see that and really using my mom as a case study of like, you know, this person experienced such extreme trauma and therefore passed that on to me, understanding that on a, on a spiritual and energetic level, I just felt a lot of responsibility, you know, to her and to myself and Mm -hmm. to ancestors and to the truth. Honestly, I felt a lot of responsibility to the truth. And I am very much, I came here to be a truth teller and I don't have the patience for anything other than that. Like I, if, you know, and that's why I think even as a public person, I can kind of have those boundaries because I'm like, not here for anybody else. I'm here for myself and my family. And I'm glad and grateful that this work is resonating and it's so meaningful to have these connections. But ultimately, I'm here for a purpose and I'm doing it. I'm really channeling something bigger than me and finding a way to put it onto the page. And that work is so painful. Mm. So, you know, I think as an act of service and seeing myself as somebody who's doing an act of service, I feel less obligated to sort of stay within the confines of what people want me to be. Even like the writing world, you know, as a writer, I do really battle with the fact that, you know, I'm not taken as seriously for my work and my labor and my investigation and my journalism, because I'm writing about things that are, you know, still sort of cuckoo and woo-woo to a lot of people, unless you're a white man, you know, unless you have sort of the venerated degree and, you know, then you're actually esteemed and people listen to you. But, um, yeah, I've, I feel like, I want people like us to read this book and to feel, you know, that that sense of urgency that we feel to help our communities. Like that's why I wrote that book. Why, why I wrote this book. Like I want, especially folks that maybe don't have the access to go to acupuncture, to go get a massage, to to understand and investigate their chronic illness. Hopefully this book can be sort of a template to being like, okay, these are all, this is a lot of the information that you need. Now, how do you start doing this for yourself and start seeing, applying it to your own life?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see a, a bigger, magnifying glass on this particular topic people are having more conversation around access ar- around food deserts around the affordability of healthy food the access to different types of healing modalities that don't involve prescription medications you know it it's such a difficult thing to go see like my family and see just the prescription bottles, you know, lining the medicine cabinet. And it just breaks my heart to just, to see the fact that, well, but I went to the doctor Mm -hmm. and the doctor told me that this is what I need to do because I have high blood pressure and I have cholesterol and I have diabetes and I have all these things. And it's like, but you could just change the way you eat and walk. Like there are these Simplistic, but not necessary. I mean, that's not how. Whatever. I'm not going to go into the pharmaceutical companies because that's not what we're talking about. But anyway, that's. uh, I think it's just for people, especially of. I'm going to say that age bracket. They didn't have the permission and the autonomy that we do now with the information that we have to say. You know, I I personally really value your your courage and your ability to be confident and empowered in that sense of this is why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I can, and it's not for anybody else. And here's the information and I'm going to go look for it myself. I did the same thing. You know, I went looking for the information. I was making decisions with my dollars. I wasn't, I wasn't making a lot of money. I mean, I was like working two part-time jobs as a teenager and I would make the decision to buy vegetables at the grocery store. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, but now we have so much more access to the information, but it's still not being publicized on A grand scale, whereas what you're saying, I'm really taking to heart, you know, this whole idea behind the world of publishing. And it's like this book that you wrote should be in every single bookstore, everywhere in the world, right? Like this information should be out there for everybody to have. It should be on every major news network. It should be on, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is where. I really feel like we're still trying to catch up with the times because this isn't just a talking point this isn't just a trend this is information that we need to learn and we need to get out into the world we need to educate ourselves we need to be able to expand beyond what we know beyond what we understand and see how we can make the different choices and make the changes that we need to, to create more access to people who, who don't feel like it's for them. You know, there was this story I wrote about in, I had written an article about it a couple of years ago. It's been over like 10 years, I think, but I think I wrote, I don't remember if I put it in my book or not, but I think I did. If not, I've talked about it. When I first started meditating, my dad was really, having a hard time with stress and anxiety and he has high cholesterol and high blood pressure and he was on all this medication. And I was trying to explain to him how meditation could really help. I'm like, maybe you need to meditate every day, just do a little bit of breathing. It would really help. And his response was meditation is for rich people. Like I can't afford, like this is, I can't afford to meditate. And I'm like, no, this is something that you can do. At home, it's not, it doesn't cost anything, but there's this internalized belief that some of these different types of healing modalities are not accessible to people that can't afford them, right? So I think that that is where that type of rhetoric needs to be changed. It needs to be ratified so that we can begin to create more access and more awareness and be able to have conversations like this and not feel like we're going to offend anybody.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people have, especially I think wellness and the wellness industry and people, I'll just say the white rich people that are really steering this ship, they want it to be exclusive. That's why there's this whole world where it's like, yes, you too can be healed, but you have to have a shit ton of money in order to be healed. And that is just like, I talk about this in the book, but going into the history of my people in particular, so Indian, South Asian people, you know, it was such a remarkable history and culture because people had healers There were shamans there were you know like witches there were people that you went to to take care of yourself every culture that was colonized had that had that framework and that specificity because we come from cultures that thought about those things and that had these rich and ripe ecosystems to make sure that everybody in the community in the village was healthy and healed. And of course, I'm sure there, there are situations where that wasn't being the case, but I would say for the most part, it was just sort of a cultural responsibility. The shaman was a cultural responsibility, the witch doctor, the healer. And I just think that, you know, even that, the idea that investing in your spirituality is only something that rich people can have is something that also colonizers want us to believe because colonization and the impact of colonization is capitalism now you know it's like we are still living in it it's not it didn't happen 400 years ago and we don't feel it anymore it's like we're absolutely within sort of the the energy of colonization and the the framework of colonization and they want us to be spiritually disconnected from ourselves they want us to be spiritually disconnected from each other from our culture so we are more pliable to market and to big pharma to all of these systems that you know we are being told no no no. they care about you you know they care about your health doctors care about your health Doctors don't give a fuck about your health. They just don't. They don't go to medical school to learn how to heal you. They're going to medical school to learn and understand disease. There's a difference. And so that's not about being well. They don't care how to holistically make sure that you therefore never have disease ever again. They're just looking at one thing. And the more that we invest and involve capitalism in the venture of healing, the more we lose ourselves. And so it's we are at such a pivotal time, I think, because of the pandemic that people are actually thinking about this. And also we have so much proof now. I mean, Roe v. Wade is a perfect example. Like the government does not care. They don't care about your body, about your autonomy, about your agency over your health. No, they don't care. They just care about control.
1: I think that, everything that's happening right now, it, it is a huge reflection to, you know, what is happening that it's, it's the macro to the micro and it's really just upsetting and, and crazy to think like that this is actually happening. You know, one of the questions that I, I wanted to ask you was about how do we course correct mm-hmm. this commodification of yoga and Ayurveda and these healing modalities that are ancient.
0: I mean meditation shouldn't you shouldn't pay for it. The the idea that you pay for an app that then tells you to meditate is I think a deeply dangerous cycle that we've fallen into the way to course correct I think is to have conversations like this and to continue to have conversations like this so people know where yoga is from so people know where Ayurveda is from I mean I say this in the book but I mean I am fully invested this with every part of my being but the elite and all of these people that make money off of it, which are by and large white rich people and white rich men in particular, I want to make sure that they feel so cornered that they begin to start to understand that there is a deep responsibility here. And I mean, I know that that sounds really naive, but I just think that we are at a place in this planet with the eco side and with the Anthropocene that we, it's inevitable the sort of like mass death. I mean, we're already facing mass death. I think just the the ways in which like the planet is gonna keep devolving, I don't think we have a lot of choice in time. So I think the reason that we're in this mess in the first place is because there was so much cruelty and so much sort of energetic mishap that we're in an imbalanced state of being. What we have to start doing is, in anybody that works with energy knows this, you know, you have to sort of balance it out. Money is a good balancer. What they say 350 to 450 million Indians live below the poverty line. So they're making a dollar a day, not even. And farmers are mass protesting in India just to get the bare minimum there is a way for us to responsibly act and i think it just is all comes back to trade and it all comes back to why is it that turmeric in india is worth less than a turmeric farmed here what is that why do we have that sort of and this is a western white structure of like the imf like the Inter- international monetary fund or the world bank all of these places made sure That like countries like Jamaica, countries like India, their stock is less than. So like, you know, you grow a corn... In Jamaica, it's, yeah, it's going to be worth less than what it would be to grow a corn in America, even though it's the same thing. So that's that sort of like faulty ways that we trade with one another. A lot of it, it's not like if you just traded fairly with a person in India or with a person in Jamaica, they wouldn't be in debt. They wouldn't have poverty. It's so simple, but especially for American and Western greed, we also have to understand that countries like Jamaica are having to like make things and grow crops for us, not for themselves. They have to grow bananas to then export them to America. And that's also a trade, you know, negotiation. So they can't even take care. They have, you know, beautiful and beautiful resources, but they can't even take care of their own people. So I think we need to start sort of educating how like twisted and deceptive these ways of being are and the more we protest the more it stops I mean we have evolved as a society and a civilization like you know even just in the last 10 years we talk about queer rights we talk about trans rights we know what being a woman of color is like some you know just like basic things we have changed so we can change and in in fact we have no choice but to change and so to me I think that's where my work comes in like I'm going to keep banging this Drum is my (laughs) man. No, I I love that.
1: Yeah, and I I mean I'm with you a thousand percent. And I I really am going back to just sort of closing the loop to the beginning of the conversation. Whenever I do feel the weight of the world on my shoulders, or I feel the energetic heaviness that we're going through and it feels completely hopeless when I have conversations like this and I see that there are people out there making change like yourself, people out there still advocating, people that are out there marching, people that are out there doing the research and trying to create ecosystems around the world that are saving the the turtles in the ocean and are cleaning up plastics in you know the pacific like all of these different things that I I start to think about okay we we are getting I don't want to say better we are motivating we have the capability of creating that change it it really does give me hope and does reinstate a semblance of optimism in a time and a place where it does feel like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Right. So, so thank you for saying that. I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, And before I I let you go, uh, where can people get more information or where can they connect with you?
0: Please read the book, Who is Wellness for? You can follow me on Instagram at Friha underscore Roshin. I have a great newsletter that I'm always talking about all my thoughts. And it's FrihaRoshin.substack.com. Yeah, I mean, I really want to be a part of the community. You know, I'm really invested in the community. I live in LA now, too. I don't know if you're still in LA.
1: What? Um, (laughs) We should have done this in person.
0: I had no idea. I didn't know that you were in LA. I have no idea. I want to invite you. I don't know what you're doing tonight, but I'm doing a reading at Reparations Club if you're around. But, you know, I've I've started to get really involved in LA in just like the Green Committee. And like I do Qigong with a queer elder here, just like down the road. And he just like teaches it for free under this Chinese elm tree. And, you know, I'm composting and I'm I'm just like really eager to show people how easy it is to actually be invested in your community to buy locally to support not in a gross way to just like actually like you know like not for Instagram like actually holistically care that's what I'm trying to show that it's so possible and it's so rewarding and I love LA so much. I just, I'm, I've just been here a year, but I'm just like, wow, like there's just so much here.
1: Amazing. You know? Well, welcome home. LA Thank loves you, you back.
0: Yeah. I I have one final
1: question for you. And I feel like you've answered this so many times already. I ask all my guests, but I started this podcast as a way to bring people together, to share information, to get inspired the whole concept behind you are radically loved was that you are radically loved by God, source, whatever, higher power, whatever you believe in that the universe works for us and not against us. So the final question for you is how do you feel radically
0: loved? Oh, that's such a beautiful question. I feel radically loved by God. I feel radically loved by the earth I have so much love for the earth. Doing sacred medicines like Grandmother Ayahuasca, just like having access to a plant that's so miraculous, has shown me the ways in which we are so connected with the plants and with the insects, with the other beings that we share this earth with. Every single time I have connection, true connection with the earth, I am humbled by my existence. So thank you for that remembrance. I think if more of us, if all of us felt radically loved, I think we would be such different people to one another.
1: I think so too. Faria, thank you so much. You were such a joy and such a pleasure to chat with. I hope that we stay connected and Mm -hmm. that we, we get to be graced with your presence on the podcast again. For everybody that's watching this or listening to this, all of the links for uh, who is wellness for, as well as all of Fariha's Instagram handles, website, Substack, we'll put everything on the show notes. So you can just go to the info button and you can get all of the links there. So be sure you do that. Thank you all so much for tuning in once again. We'll be back next week. Don't forget that you are radically loved. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.